Our children come to our schools with a bunch of needs and abilities. It's the job of the educator to figure out what those needs and abilities are of each individual student. This is why diversity and inclusion is extremely important in today's educational setting. On this particular podcast, we sit down with Dr. Anne-Marie Risto and we talk about diversity and inclusion. I am Dr. Demiso A. Josie, and this is The Empowerment Perspective. This episode of the Empowerment Perspective podcast is brought to you by Oakland Cocktail Company. Oakland Cocktail Company is a cocktail mocktail mixer company located in Oakland, New Jersey. A portion of sales goes towards helping build our local communities. All cocktail mixers are made in small batches and crafted by hand to ensure quality and care. We make you a better bartender. There will be two flavor profiles released in March. Clinton Ave, Sriracha Bloody Mary. Make your place brunch central with this full body, spicy, savory cocktail mix. Tough enough to stand alone or mix with your favorite vodka or tequila. Spicy and fresh from the first pour to the last sip. Kindle Boulevard, pineapple, lime, and jalapeno. Enjoy a juice cleanse or elevate your favorite tequila or vodka with this sweet and spicy mix. We've bottled the freshest summer taste for you to enjoy all year round. Every sip will take you on vacation. The Oakland Cocktail Company can be found on Facebook at facebook.com slash Oakland Cocktail Company. So when I think about equity and inequality, I think that it's really important to differentiate that we we should all be equal and have equal rights, but for things to be equitable, it doesn't mean that we have to have the exact same thing all the time only. All right, everybody, welcome to yet another episode of the Empowerment Perspective Podcast. I go by the name of Dr. Demiso A. Josie, and I am blessed to have today's guest on all the way from the Sunshine State of Florida. She has over 25 years of teaching experience. She also does professional development for teachers. She works for organizations as well, and she is heavy into diversity and inclusion. I am blessed to have Dr. Anne Marie Risto on today's show. Welcome to the show. How are you doing, Anne? Thank you. I really appreciate you having me. It's nice to get to know you in this platform. I'm doing well. I'm ready for this new year. Mm. I think everybody is. I know, yeah, I agree. I think in a previous podcast, we talked about um, the pandemic and, and using the time wisely and preparing for the back end of uh, of the pandemic. Hopefully we're getting there uh, soon, but um, using that time to reorganize yourself and to sharpen your tools. Did you take any time during that, that pandemic or even now to uh, reorganize yourself and to sharpen your tools as well? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it, actually, the pandemic had a huge impact on me because I, you know, you you were talking about me having twenty five years of experience, and my most current was with the University of South Florida, which I kind of became a student with them, and then never left. You know, just <laughs> did all of my degrees there, my PhD, my post work. Um, and then also worked for them in the Institute of School Reform, which was a wonderful experience. But what I needed to do for myself is during the pandemic, really reflect on my impact in my personal goals and what I wanted to do with, with the rest of these years that I have. And so I decided to make a leave, take, take some time to make sure that I was, really making a difference. And so I left my role at the university 
Yeah, I just, I, I spoke with my advisor, my supervisor, and, and he was amazing. He had me finish out my contract for the year um, remotely. And I did that from North Carolina at my daughter's and then life brought me back into Florida, but I really wanted to do some research and get into people's mindsets on diversity and inclusion. My work is always focused on diversity and inclusion. I started as a child, um, my best friend, I actually wrote about it in one of my blog posts on my website, she had dyslexia. And we, by default, were the only two people in our one-room schoolhouse for our grade. <laughs> and so um, I found myself sitting under the side with her like memorizing the reading lines to help her be more successful so that we could have the longer lunch recess to play. And, and I just remember it feeling wrong that I had different, different things afforded to me that she didn't just because she learned differently. Mm -hmm. And that had a huge impact on me. And I tried to fight it. I tried to fight it. I did not like being in school. I would um, go in the high school. My, my brother worked at the high school. I would go in the front door with him and he would go to his office and I would go out the back door and skip as much as I could. <laughs> and, um, and one of my teachers believed in me and saw the potential and said, you know, like, why weren't you at the senior award ceremony? And I said, because, you know, like, that's not for me. I just can't wait to get out of this institution. Mm -hmm. um, and he said, well, you know, you received scholarship to be a teacher. Like, I want you to be a teacher. And so I thought, oh, okay, well, why not? You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> I was really into design and creativity and um, marketing and um, but I was like, okay, they're going to pay for me to go to school. And so I started in child development and, you know, I just can't get enough of it. So, mm -hmm. you know, fast forward to present day and all of the things that have been happening over these years, I just wanted to really think about the mind shifts that are necessary and help people in that self-reflective process. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm working on the research project for See Things Differently. Right, right, right. So I'm gonna um, jump around here a little bit because you said a little bit of things that, that resonated with me. Um, the first thing I wanna talk about really is a lot of people don't know the difference between um, equity and equality and, and as it plays out in an educational setting. Can you break down the difference between uh, equity and equality? Yeah, so, you know, I was actually just watching a newscast of our governor um, because he has a different viewpoint on that than I do. <laughs> and, um, you know, I've always looked at it as giving people what they need when they need it. Mm. And everybody needs something a little different sometimes. I mean, I'm left-handed, so it's a little different for me when I approach people um, to greet them with a handshake or um, even just notebooks with the spirals. That's a simple example, right? Mm -hmm. Well, there are people that have a lot um, more things that are working against them. Either they were born with a disability and people keep pushing them down because they 
don't believe that they have the ability, but just because you have a disability doesn't mean you don't have ability. Right. People forget that. Um, And then also like things that just, I think, stem from egocentrism and um, wanting to be on top. I think people like marginalize others so that they can feel better about themselves. And I just really think that that's wrong. So when I think about equity and inequality, I think that it's really important to differentiate that we we should all be equal and have equal rights, but for things to be equitable, it doesn't mean that we have to have the exact same thing all the time only. Right. It means that we really do need what we can have to be successful and everyone has the right to be successful. I mean, it's really interesting to think about uh, equity in education, especially when you're dealing with a system that is basically designed on competition when it comes to grades and higher achievement students and lower achievement students. Um, uh, you, you have a system that's based upon basically winners and losers. If you really think about it, if you break it down to its, its simplest form. Um, uh, how do we balance the fact that, you know, we need classrooms to be equitable, but yet we have a system that is thriving on winners and losers. How do we make that balance happen? Yeah. And we had a real missed opportunity there with the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. Like such a missed opportunity because it was the first time that we really got to hear teacher voice, student voice more profusely. And we, as history has shown in the past, haven't really listened. Mm -hmm. You know, we make it more about the schedule for parents to be able to go to work or um, the structure for um, feeding into higher education. And so I I really do think that the pandemic was a huge miss. And then I also think that, you know, you mentioned grades And there was a post on LinkedIn uh, over the last couple of days, someone said, should you put your GPA on your resume? Yes or no. And there was a great discussion going on with that. And I, you know, I would err on the side of no, because to me, the GPA just represents that you were able to maneuver and manipulate the system or that someone paved the way for you, right? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean that you have the skill, knowledge, and ability or passion. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't, you can't grade passion. Sure. So, so I think that grades just in in themselves do a disservice to equity because mm-hmm. it um really I did a lot of work in the most struggling schools in the state of Florida. And time and time again those report card grades didn't match the abilities of the students. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what does it really mean? The concept of equity during the pandemic. And um, I'm I'm sitting here thinking as you talk um, about my own children. Um, I know my own children, for example, thrive um, in the virtual setting. Um, They actually perform a little bit better in that setting than in person. But yeah, here in New Jersey, um, you know, and across the country, we rush these kids back into the classroom, not really thinking what is um, best for these students. Like to me, it was a perfect opportunity to kind of rewrite and redesign how we do education. Why not have both virtual and in-person um, capabilities for those students that thrive in those environments? We kind of pulled the rug underneath those kids and, and rushed them back into the classroom and not really taking consideration like uh, the successes that they were having. 
Um, and speaking of success, you know, in here, us in education, it's kind of difficult for us to, to measure success until we have that student that comes back and kind of says, you know, you did a great job. It's not tangible for us in the moment. But in your line of work right now, how do you define success? Yeah, so I think that it should be measured infinitely, right? Mm -hmm. I think that it should almost never really be attainable, not meaning that we can't celebrate successes, but I think getting a student to pass a standardized test is measured as success from some, but it, you know, like for others, um, it can be almost a letdown because, not because you don't want them to be successful in life, but because of what it takes to alter the path of getting students what they need and having authentic purposeful learning um, in order to make a score so that they can continue in the cycle of the system. So to me, success is really about really about having my mark, mile markers to the goal that you're looking to achieve and always checking those goals across different standards. So to me, the assessment um, of learning is not the most important. I think the assessment as learning and the assessment for learning is so essential because if we're using assessments correctly, we're using them to support students and not only being what they want to be, but challenging them to see themselves in a different way so that the possibilities are open for them. It's a really, really powerful piece if you think about it. And to get students to a place where they see themselves in a different way. Uh, we talk about not putting these students in a box, right, and really becoming students of your students so we can understand what they need and, and, and what their capabilities are. And, and you know, framing your, your teaching um, around those, those needs of those individual students. And the only way they're going to do that is to get, to, you know, to kind of get to know them and to get them in a place to see themselves differently, um, as you mentioned. Um, but it kind, of, it kind of leads into this, this concept of differentiated instruction. Um, what's the importance of differentiating instruction um, when it comes to having an equitable classroom? So I'm glad you mentioned differentiated instruction because I actually, I focus more on universal design for learning. I, I see differentiated instruction as a component of that, but universal design for learning um, really makes things accessible. It allows students to represent their learning in different ways. Um, it also allows engagement to occur for all. You know, we've had a huge movement, not huge enough, but we're getting there um, with literature and education, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, the books that were in the schools really represented just one, <laughs> one ethnicity. And so you open up the whole world to all of the students right. by making it more um, representative of the world we live in, sure. right? I'm laughing because I literally just had this conversation about 10 minutes ago with another educator and we were talking about 
the books that were required to be read uh, from seventh graders. And she was asking, like, why are these students reading about the Hunger Games? Why not make it something um, relevant? She's reading the book, The, the Hate You Give. Um, so she was like, why, do, why, why aren't we making these students read something that's relevant to the days and time that we're living in and not, you know, Hunger Games or something that they may not necessarily be tied to? Um, it's, it's really, really um, interesting. So I can completely understand where you're coming from. But um, I want to switch gears real quick. We have a new segment on our show called the Teacher's Lounge. Now, if, you're, uh, if you know anything about the Teacher's Lounge, it's a place where teachers will go, uh, kind of let their hair down, eat somebody else's lunch, um, you know, just have a little bit of fun and discuss. Sometimes they talk shop in there. So we want to do a segment called the Teacher's Lounge, and I'm gonna, we're going to play a game. It's going to be called This or That. So I'm going to give you a choice between one thing and another, and you have to pick one, and you have to kind of tell us why you picked that thing. So we're going to start off easy for you, right? We're going to start off really, really easy. Um, North Carolina or Florida? Don't forget to tell us why. Oh, my goodness. Well, I actually just chose Florida um, because I was living in North Carolina, and I love North Carolina. Um, my daughter is there. My granddaughter is there. My new grandbaby that's coming this summer will be there. Um, but I, cho I chose Florida because I have a larger family here with needs. I lost a sister this summer who lived here in Florida and her daughter is here and her um, grandchildren are here. My parents are here who are aging and family is really important to me. Mm -hmm. So it would be a tie. I am definitely like a blue devil, but <laughs> I, I've got to stay with Florida. Okay, that, that was going to be my next question. I was going to say uh, the Blue Devils or the Tar Heels. You kind of already explained it, but explain why. Okay, so why? Because my daughter's husband, when he was in first grade, wrote a letter and still has that letter to this day when he was in school that his dream was to go to Duke University. And he got accepted there for graduate school. And I was so proud of my daughter because she was working as a nurse at Moffitt at the time, had just, you know, graduated herself and got that job. And she secured a position at Duke Oncology um, there at the Duke Hospital on campus before they ever even moved there. So I just think, you know, like I believe in um, God and I believe that that was just a true like orchestration for them. So Blue Devils. <laughs> I'm not mad at them. Blue Devils fans. <laughs> they live in Chapel Hill, if that helps. <laughs> That's interesting. The next question is working with educators or working on your dissertation? Yeah. Educators. They just like, I think I learned so much and I'm challenged with. So being a PhD -er, I know like this much, right? <laughs> About one thing, one thing right? <laughs> where when you work with teachers, you really like, you know, so much more and the perspectives just really broaden what you can do. Mm -hmm. And I thank them every day for how much they teach me. Awesome. All right. Last question. What is your favorite thing to do when you are not working? Wow. Travel. I love traveling and this has been really hard with the pandemic. I've had a few international trips postponed. I'm not going to say canceled, mm -hmm. but um, postponed and um, it's allowed me to see the U.S., more of the U.S. again as an adult. My parents were great about having us travel um, a lot of trips out west when we were kids growing up in northern Michigan, but 
yeah, traveling. Where's the most, what's the most interesting place that you've seen? Ooh, well, I am fortunate to support a friend's nonprofit in Zimbabwe. And so that's Bilawayo. I would say that that is the most beautiful part of the world that I've ever been to. Mm -hmm. um, I've been fortunate to be in the Greek islands. So Ia is one of my favorite places. Um, I tend to go off the beaten path though. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I like to become native when I travel. <laughs> awesome. awesome. Being that you're from Northern Michigan, I'm going to go one more bonus this or that. Okay. U, U of M or Michigan State? U of M. Oh, okay. My brother's from Ann Arbor, so I respect that. So I can definitely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, hands down U of M. Actually, I have, it's it's a little split in our family, but I am on the U of M side. Okay. All right. That's awesome. All right, Dr. Risto, thank you for uh, taking the time out this morning and being on our, our podcast. Um, I'm going to give you the floor right now. Any last words of encouragement for our educators that are listening to this podcast? Yeah, I just want to say, you know, like, keep your voice. Like my, my son-in-law's sister is just starting as a special education teacher, um, just started this month. Um, and she, you know, was like, what about this? What about that? I'm hearing this. People are telling me to do this, but I'm seeing that done. And, you know, I always looked at the students and if you always have the student's best interest in mind, you can't go wrong. You mm -hmm. might have to ask for forgiveness sometimes, but you can't go wrong. And no matter what position I've ever been in, the um, distance that it, my um, roles have taken me, my lens is always on the students and hearing their voice. And I, I don't think you can go wrong with that. All right. I think you have to remember, and all the educators out there, please remember why you got into this. I'm hoping that you got into this for the for the sake of the kids. And as long as you keep them in the forefront of every decision that you make, you can sleep at night and you know that you, you're doing the best that you possibly can. Uh, but more importantly, like Dr. Risto said, make sure that you're giving students a voice. They deserve to be heard, especially during this time when we're dealing with so many different emotions and situations with the pandemic. Give them an opportunity and a platform to, to voice their feelings and to voice their concerns as well, um, because it's, it's definitely... Um, important. And as a quote from Mr. Rip had once said that it is our job to fill our classroom with student voices and not to be the main voice. It's really, really important um, that these students are heard. Give them an opportunity to speak and, and, and to be heard. Um, again, for our audience out there, thanks for listening. Make sure you're rocking with us on March 23rd at the World Education Summit. We will be um, presenting on relationship building from a customer service standpoint. So um, if you're an educator, make sure you check that out at worldsummit.com. Check the link out right here. Put it right there. I am Dr. Debisa Josie. And as always, stay in power. This episode of the Empowerment Perspective Podcast is brought to you by Oakland Cocktail Company. Oakland Cocktail Company is a cocktail mocktail mixer company located in Oakland, New Jersey. A portion of sales goes towards helping build our local communities. All cocktail mixers are made in small batches and crafted by hand to ensure quality and care. We make you a better bartender. There will be two flavor profiles released in March. Clinton Ave, Sriracha Bloody Mary. 
Make your place brunch central with this full body, spicy, savory cocktail mix. Tough enough to stand alone or mix with your favorite vodka or tequila. Spicy and fresh from the first pour to the last sip. Kindle Boulevard, pineapple, lime, and jalapeno. Enjoy a juice cleanse or elevate your favorite tequila or vodka with this sweet and spicy mix. We've bottled the freshest summer taste for you to enjoy all year round. Every sip will take you on vacation. The Oakland Cocktail Company can be found on Facebook at facebook.com slash Oakland Cocktail Company.